0: Morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Daniel Reister. I'm working here at the church as an intern and one of the fun, difficult, anxiety-inducing, whatever words you want to put around it, tasks that I get to do is I get to preach from time to time here. So thanks for being here this morning. It's good to be with you today. We're in this series on first That we've been in for maybe three weeks now. And if you were paying attention in here last week, you would see that we kind of made it through to the end of chapter one. So I have some really disappointing news for people who are like me and like to really check off the boxes and say, wow, we've made it through chapter one, there's a milestone marker. I'm still in chapter 1 this week. There's a verse in there, and I'm just like, we, we got to dive into this thing. And so, sorry to disappoint anybody who thought we made it out of chapter 1. We are still in chapter 1 this week. But one of the the practices we've been doing as a church um, lately is, is to spend time in conversation with one another, answering questions during the service. And um, oftentimes we've been doing it at the end. Today I have a question to start us with that I want to um, encourage you to discuss with you. I, I will give you time to discuss with your neighbor before we get to into any content. To kind of get the, the, the mind thinking, the juices flowing this morning. And and this is the question. What is the most meaningful attribute of God to you right now and why? You may or you may not have one. This is why we do it in a group with one another. So we can hear kind of what God is doing in the people. Around us, but I'd say, like, I encourage you to share openly. So, I'm gonna give you five minutes right now, get together with the people around you, just talk about this question, and then we will jump in with our content for today. So, this is the hard part where I have to interrupt your conversation. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, And so we're going we're gonna to jump in now, we're going to have another time at the end for a little more discussion So you can look forward to getting to talk with one another instead of listening to me talk um, the whole time But here's the verse, let's get the verse up on the screen and, and look at, at, at 1 Timothy one seventeen, And it says this now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, right? So Paul wrote these words into his letter and as I, as I was going through oh, over the last couple of weeks reading through 1 Timothy and thinking about some other things that I was learning and that other things that I'm learning from the Old Testament about worship, this passage started to, to, to jump out to me more and more and the big question in my head became why. Why in the world is this passage even here? Why Why is this sentence of adoration to God in, in this place in Paul's letter? Let me remind you of some context of where we're at in this book. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy, who's in Ephesus with the church, and, and he's just written a, a lot of information about um, Being aware that they're not teaching false doctrine, that they should not be teaching false doctrine, how to find it and and, and how to avoid it. And then Paul wrote some more about his own story of his own life, the things that he did, and then all of a sudden we have this verse that Paul throws in, and it's and it's this it's now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever, amen. And so as I sit with this, I'm like, why did Paul put this? here, and I think this is why it's so important for us to look into this passage and to kind of deep dive today and ask ourselves the question, what does Paul, what should we be learning by the way that Paul is living his life? What prompted Paul to write something like this? I think it's easy to be reading along, and Paul has so many words of, of, that are, (laughs) and the things that we should be doing and how we should be doing them, but I think Paul is carrying something deeper inside his life and as I sit with the words of Paul uh, what I perceive in his life is something that I want in my own life and so this question of why is this here it's almost as if like like let's think practically like to tell us what he wants to tell us he didn't have to put this in but for some reason, this flowed out of his heart onto the pages of a letter that he's writing to a dear friend. And, and it tells us something about who Paul is and the way that he lives his life and what's flowing out of his heart. And so I'm really excited as we dive in today to really discuss, uh, to discuss like this, this idea that I, I just have to wonder if, if for Paul... This is, he can't avoid doing this. He can't help but add it in, right? As I read this stuff, I'm like, okay, it's so easy to skip over and say, let's get on to the rest of the content. Or say, like, let's say if you've read a lot of Paul's letters, you're like, oh yeah, Paul just does that. Um, But... But there's something in there. There's something for us to be learning. There's something for us to see in Paul. And what do we know about Paul? Paul is always pointing us back to Jesus. And so we're learning something from Paul. And we're going to learn something about Jesus by really diving in and talking uh, uh, about this, this passage today. But let's, uh, we'll get the next slide up on the screen. Because I, what I see in Paul is a heart overflowing that is pouring out into worship, adoration and affection for God, a king of kings and a lord of lords, right? In this case, he, he uses these words, uh, king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, right? He's describing who God is to him and it's more than just some words that he's memorized to say it's something that is uniquely Paul flowing out of his heart from his relationship with God. And so I we're going to be... Th- talking really about this theme, I have these three words up here. They all can mean something similar, but they all strike us a little differently. And so that's why I put up all three words. I'll be using all three as we go through and talk this morning about um, what what we're learning from Paul and and what we're learning about hearts overflowing with worship and what that means for our lives as we follow after Jesus. And so I want to start here. I want to look up in the passage a little bit. And this idea of an academic understanding because Paul states a theological truth here it, he states it very clearly and, and, and this is what he says 1 Timothy 1.15 here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? A foundational theological truth of what Jesus' followers believe that Jesus showed up on the scene for, the pe- for us for the sinners who couldn't do anything about our condition, who could not do anything about our separation from God, right? Because our sin separated us from God. We couldn't stand before the God who created us. That causes hurt in our lives, but we could not change the reality of, of that sin. We could not close that gap for ourselves. So as Paul states just above in the passage here, he states this theological truth. And this theological truth, I think, is the birthplace of, is the birthplace of his worship but he doesn't leave us hanging at this academic like statement this this theological statement no paul what does he do he instantly makes it deep emotional relational um in his next in his very next words as he as he's showing this realization he says um uh, well, let's get the next slide he says of whom i am the worst of whom i am the worst, And you know, I, I love that part because I read that and I'm like, well, all right, if Paul labels himself as the worst of sinners, then I guess I'm not as bad as Paul, so that's good news for me. No, um, I, I don't think that's what Paul is saying, but I think what we're seeing in his life is he states a truth, something that, yeah, we can understand but there's something emotional, connected, personal, intimate relationship with God that Paul is showing in his life as he's as he's sharing this realization that he is in desperate need of what Jesus brings into his life. And so as we look at this word realization, be thinking about like this is where it starts to flow, where our worship starts to flow from is our realization of our desperate need for Jesus and what Jesus brings into our life, what Jesus offers us. I think about the story of Paul, and I think about his life, the life that he was living and we talked about this a little bit last week um, when Scotty was was talking about Paul used three words to describe himself these these three um, these three things in his life that Jesus rescued him out of, that God rescued him out of, and I was thinking this week over over Paul's own journey and and where his realizations came in his walk of faith. Right, his his came on a donkey on the road to Damascus when when Jesus encounters him and says Paul or at the time Saul, right before his name was changed to Paul, he says Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. in that moment he knew who Jesus was he encountered Jesus the son of god as he rode on a donkey he had new realization all of a sudden his brokenness was very he became very aware of the brokenness inside of him of the sins that he had committed of the things of the things inside of him that were not drawing him to Christ but were fighting against that and, and you know we weren't there for the whole story he went He went away from that place blind. He surely must have encountered God in real and tangible, intimate and deep ways that were meaningful to him. And then it erupted into a life of ministry, praise and worship, seeking after Christ. It changed everything about him. And so as I was thinking about worship this week and I was thinking about where does worship start... What, what affects what's flowing out of our hearts? And I think it's this idea of realization of desperate need. This idea that, uh, that we can't find it through somebody else that we can't find it through somebody else's life. Yes, we can look at other people's lives and their practices and be affected by the things that they do, by, by, by the practices that they hold and the way that they live their lives. But the reality is, until we have encountered for ourselves on a personal, deep, intimate level with Jesus, our realization for our desperate need of what he delivers us from, then hearts don't overflow with worship. And this isn't one time of realization. It's not just a moment in time and and then everything just continues on. No, it's a lifetime of realization. And it goes deeper and deeper as we live our lives, as we encounter Jesus at the cross. I think about, uh, uh, as I was thinking about worship this week, and I was thinking about, what does worship mean? Because I'm looking at Paul worshiping God, and I'm saying, there's something in Paul's heart that I want in my own life that I want to see in my church. And as I was sitting with that, and I was thinking about, where does that come from? It just brings me back to the cross. It brings me back to the cross, right? We just read this theological statement that, that, um, we, we read this theological statement that Jesus showed up to save sinners. But what does it look like when you stand at the foot of the cross and you look up and you see Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was God, hanging on a tree, blood running down his body, sweating in pain and agony, on your behalf, right? You look up and, and he's hanging there and, he's, and there's nothing that you can do. And you get this realization of your own brokenness. All of the, the broken pieces in your life, become you become aware of them. But the painful part of becoming aware of these broken pieces is the, the reality that you then face. That you can do nothing about it. You can only stand there and watch him suffer As he dies, and you can't crawl up there and pull him off that tree. So as we encounter Christ, we encounter our brokenness. We have realization in our life of our own personal desperate need for what Christ brings to us and what Christ offers to us. This is the start. This is the heart of which our worship flows out for Paul. It's this encounter on the road to Damascus where he realizes his own tangible desperate need. I love the wording, of whom I am the worst. There's something that Paul has realized as he gets to know Jesus more. That there's more broken pieces than he ever thought were there before. As we encounter the cross, we don't really encounter the true potency of what happened on the cross unless we encounter it. In the midst of an awareness of our broken pieces, when we encounter Jesus on the cross, we encounter our own broken pieces, our own broken thought patterns, our own sins, our own wanderings, our own rejection of the God who loves us and says he wants to be with us. And that doesn't stop. Those realizations become more and more as we walk longer and longer with Jesus. He gently reveals more in our hearts. We don't get to a point right now where, where we don't have that realization when we meet with Jesus on the cross. And so... That's where I wanted to start today is thinking about what is flowing out of our heart, but but the big question is is what is fueling what's flowing out of our heart? If we want worship and praise to be flowing out of our hearts, we have to spend time thinking about the, we have to spend time thinking about these things. I love that Paul is not academic writer he goes deep and emotional we see his personal relationship with God it's there's just something in that to me like this remembering like there is no person sitting in this room that's going to be able to stand and coach you through being with Jesus it's you and Jesus who are doing that. It's your relationship with Jesus. It's my relationship with Jesus that's going, to be, um, that's going to be fueling these realizations. And so, yeah, it's just an amazing thing to me. So when we have this realization, we stand before Jesus hanging on the cross. We become aware of our brokenness. But we don't stay there, right? That's not, that's not where the story ends. That's not, that's not the end of it. It sparks something inside of us. We're now longing for relationship. We long for relationship with this God who we've been separated from. I, I think about the things that, that Paul described in his own life. If you look up at the top, it just says this. I'll just read it for you. Paul describes himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But he received mercy. When he came into relationship with God, he received mercy for those things in his life where he had been rejecting God. And there's something deep and intimate about that relationship that started to form and then continued to form and continued to develop fruit in his relationship with God throughout the rest of his ministry. Because of relationship with God, Paul's life was no longer the same. Because he realized his desperate need for relationship with God, his life was no longer the same. And all of this to fuel Paul's worship and adoration, words of affection, driving the very things that flow out of Paul's heart into his mouth and into the letters that he writes and the sermons that he preached and the life that he lived, the people that he encountered. This changed everything for Paul. This changes everything for us. When we dive into relationship with God, when we have realization and we start to see desperate need and it drives us to long and hunger and thirst for relationship with God, one of the natural places we go is his word. We dive into his word and we start reading his story. This book cover to cover explains the greatness of God. It declares the greatness of God. It tells us about the attributes of God. And it's one long love story about God saying, I want you with me. And so we start reading these things. But then in our hearts, we're longing still because we are a people hardwired for deep and intimate relationships. Here on this earth, we want friendships we want marriages, we want these things, we are hardwired for deep and intimate relationships And God's invitation to us is come and be with me through Jesus, is come and be with me in relationship. Are you starting to see the things that we have to celebrate? Are you starting to see the things that should, that that why worship should be welling up in our heart? Are you starting to see maybe why Paul is so often writing these adorations of God because this is a real and tangible reality to him in his life? A real and tangible reality to him in his life. We start to long for prayer as we start to long for relationship with God. Because we have a desire for that intimate connection between us and God. The creator of the heavens and earth. We desire that relationship. We start to pray. And all of these things fuel the way of which we worship God and the things that flow out of our mouths and the actions that we perform in the world around us. Nothing is the same when we read the word. Let me say it this way. Nothing is the same when we have realization of our desperate need and then we long for relationship with Christ. And then we start reading the word, and we start praying, and we start turning our face towards God and saying, I want this relationship, God. And the funny thing is, is the very place we go for relationship, we start to learn the words that describe God. We start to learn the words of adoration. We start to learn the words of worship. We start to know about this God and the greatness of the deeds that he's done throughout every generation. And then we know how to praise him. We have new words to worship him. We have new words to praise him. I want to take a second though and I want to zoom in on the word affection. I had the word up at the beginning, affection. And I I like that word, like I'm a person who loves words. And that word strikes me when I think about worship and adoration. There's something in the word affection because it's so personal. And so what's it like for us to be welling up with words of affection inside of our heart for a God, for Jesus, our Savior, the only one who could stand in the gap between? For God, our Father in heaven, who created the heavens and the earth and spoke us into existence, who who spoke and created all that is and was and shall be. So words of affection, and I think about relationships. We can't copy somebody else's words of affection. No, they steep inside of our heart. They're formed inside of us. That's where they get our meaning. And then they pour out from inside of us. And I think this is something that's happening with Paul. These words are pouring out from inside of him because of his love for God. Because he's in love with God. Because of his realization of his desperate need and how tangible and real that was to him. How tangible and real that was to him. So out of our relationship with God, our worship flows forth. This is the fruit of our relationship with God. This is what starts before any mission happens. This is what happens before any justice is done. We encounter God as individuals. We form relationship with God. We start to learn our own desperate need. Day in and day out, we learn. And then out of that, worship starts to bubble and to flow inside of our lives. I want to, we've talked a little bit about Paul But I want to talk about one other person today. There are so many people in the Bible. As I'm I'm doing a a Bible read-through group on Wednesday nights. And we're going through the Old Testament. And we're reading large chunks of Old Testament each week and talking about them. And as I've been doing that, I've been seeing so many people in the Old Testament where worship is so key to everything that flows out of their life. So I pulled one of those examples today. I want to talk about this man that some of you may be familiar with. His name is King David. Right? You might have heard of him before. If you haven't heard of him before, um, King David was a king in the Old Testament. He led Israel. He was appointed by God. And this, he was described as a man after God's own heart. But I, what I want to look at in the example of King David today is, honestly, I want to tell you the story because it's just a really amazing story. Um, but but I, I really want to look at how did King David's love for God manifest itself as a heart for worship, praise, and adoration for the God of the universe, and then how did that flow into the practical actions in his life? So if... if uh, I'm just going to describe this scene. It's it's described in Second um, Samuel six and First Chronicles fifteen, um, but I'm just going to describe it for you here today and use do whatever you need to do. Like try to think about yourself in the scene, standing there. And the story is this of King David. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, right? They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into the city, uh, uh, back into the city to the tabernacle. They've prepared a place for it. The nation has its eyes fixed on God and they're like, we want to seek after you. And here is the story that is explained. David quite literally gets the band together to go pick this thing up, right? He didn't just get a couple of Levites um, and say, okay, I just need enough Levites to carry this thing back into the city. No, he said, let's get everybody involved, let's worship and praise God as we bring this thing back into the city, let's have a celebration before the God of the universe, a king of kings, a Lord of lords, a God who we are to have no other gods before and this manifests itself as ridiculous and radical worship and it's explained like this, David danced before the ark of the Lord with all of his might. Right, and and what's he doing? He's wearing a linen ephod. He's dancing before the ark of the Lord with all of his might. This is a king, right? You think like a dignified, like a dignified outfit. No, he's losing it before God. Right? He can't hold it in. He can't contain it, and neither does he try. He is out there just letting loose before God. He's got his eyes fixed on God and his greatness. He knows where his help comes from, he knows who is his stronghold. And this manifests itself in his life as a ridiculous moment of worship. Totally undignified before God, I, I want to read this description. Um, you see it up on the screen, but there 's a band, if you know them, called Rind Collective," and they sing this song, "I will be Undignified." I probably listened to this song at least sixty times last week. Uh, I just for me, it brings a lot of imagery to this moment, right it's not it 's not a biblical account. But it's, it's some artist's representation of what was happening. And so let me read these words to you. I, danced, David, danced in the thrill of a wild romance. I'm in love and I'm not ashamed. Love's a fire that won't be tamed. Oh, my soul was not born to be caged. I, I just, I, I don't know. I just love those words. I want to play the song again right now. and Just, like, <laughs> listen to it. Uh, but But this is giving us more like vivid like just descriptions of what could have this been like. We see David in love with God, and that has to manifest itself in worship. It looks like me- people with musical instruments coming along with them. It looks like singers, it looks like people celebrating It looks like David dancing. This is crazy what in the world is flowing out of David's heart. Why is he this way? Why is he this way? He is a king, but he is totally losing it for the king of kings. And so I love this story. But here's, here's I want to go a little deeper because there's things that happen next in this really important for us to remember. And this is the practical side. What is flowing out of our hearts and our worship and how we worship is affecting the way that we live the rest of our lives. So what does David do? They get the ark there. Um, There's this really cool moment where the Spirit of God, it says, falls in the tabernacle where they place the ark. And there is no room for anybody inside because the Spirit of the Lord dwells there. And and so there's this amazing moment. And then David goes and sacrifices before the Lord. He is obedient to to God from his place of worship he becomes obedient to God he sacrifices before the Lord he sings these songs and and the people with him sing these songs and these prayers and they bless the Lord their God but David doesn't stop oh no you can't hold David back because now he's really in it with God. No, this now manifests itself as another form of obedience. He goes and he blesses an entire nation. right? It, it, says, it says in Second in, in, uh, Samuel, and then again in First Chronicles, He goes and he blesses the entire nation. He gives them bread and meat. Every man and woman, it says in my translation in the ESV, every man and woman he gives a loaf of raisin bread and meat. And so what flows from our heart and the adoration that we speak to God is directly affecting our ability to walk in obedience to God. It's stirring something inside us. That drives us to the people around us. When we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and all of our strength, nothing stays the same. And as I'm thinking about all of these things, as I'm thinking about this story, uh, as I'm thinking about this story and I'm thinking about my own life or the lives of us sitting in here today, what marks us different in this world... ...than everybody else who stands around us. What marks us different? We are a people who are supposed to be radically and ridiculously in love with Jesus. And that's what is driving the flow of the actions in our lives... That's what's driving our obedience towards God. That's why we're going out to a broken and a hurting world. As we stand at the cross for us personally and we realize our brokenness and our inability to change our own brokenness, another thing happens as well. We become aware that we have no power to change what is happening in this world. I have no power to fully love my neighbor as myself as as God commanded me to. But in Christ, I find obedience. In worship and adoration, God is tuning my heart and preparing me to be obedient. To be obedient. And so as I think about David, I think about Paul and what's flowing out of their lives. When I see... That when I see either of them offer worship, praise, or adoration to God. Like Paul did saying, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. It gives me pause every time I see it. And I say, why are those things not flowing out of my life with an intensity like this? Why do I read this and I feel like... They have such a close, deep, intimate relationship. It sparks longing in my own life. I hope it sparks a sense of longing in your life as well. From a heart of worship, we are then prepared to go and meet with the world that our Father in Heaven so desperately loves that Jesus came to save from a heart of worship, we're ready to go. It drives us out. It pushes us forward into the ministry of our lives, whether that means you preach sermons on a Sunday morning, or you're in the office nine to five during the weekdays. What's the ministry of your life? And how does encountering Christ in a realization of your own personal desperate need fuel your ministry. I want to um, tell a story now, actually, because stories are fun. Um. <laughs> But as I was working on this sermon, and I haven't done a lot of sermons, but every sermon that I've worked on, I've become aware that the hard thing about writing sermons is all the things you start learning about yourself, and all the convictions and personal realizations that you have. Uh, If you don't believe me, go in and look at my desk, there's sticky notes all across it of the things that I realized about my life, or you can look in my laptop bag and I've got loose leaf paper with lots of scribbled notes on them, or any of my Many, many sermon outlines trying to figure out what in the world to say with typed extra notes of, I think this is what I'm supposed to be learning. I think this is what I'm supposed to be learning. But I'm going to share one of those with you today. Um, Last week... Sunday evening, I was downtown Portland, Old Town. I was there for a, a worship and a prayer night. And I showed up, and I got off my motorcycle, and I'm going from the parking lot into the venue. And somehow, between my motorcycle and the not very long to the door of the venue, I lost my wallet. Uh, yeah, that was, that was unfortunate. Um, but here, here's what I want to say in the story. As I'm sitting there sink and like, it's all of a sudden, that's what's in my head. I'm overwhelmed with that. I can't get it out of my head. I'm just like, I'm like, I gotta find my wallet. Where could I have left it? Like, oh, I gotta cancel my credit cards. What am I gonna do about my license? I'm almost out of gas. How am I gonna get gas on the way home? And the list goes on and all of a sudden my thoughts are flooded with nothing but this, this predicament that I'm now in and the insecurity that I feel because I lost my wallet. And then as I was sitting this week reading in 1 Timothy, thinking about worship and prayer and the worship that God deserves, I have this little brown leather thing with some plastic cards in it that somehow managed in my mind to drown out a king eternal immortal, invisible, and the only God. <laughs> That's a hard realization. And then let me add to that, I also had the realization how, power, how powerless I felt to change my circumstances. I long for my heart to be gushing out words of affection for God. I long to praise my Creator. But I am so easily distracted. So many times in my life, I turn my eyes towards God or I'm distracted and I look away and then I have the nerve to say, God, where'd you go? When I stopped looking. The realization that I had is that this desperate need for God and what he brings is not as real to me as I want it to be. My worship for God is not as full as I want it to be in my own life. And I see that by the fruits of the things that 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 bother me, that distract me from, from God, from praising and from worshiping and honoring God. And so that was one of the realizations that I had. And then as I sat with it more and I thought about it the other day, I was sitting at my desk and I was like, I'm using this word a lot, what flows out of our hearts, right? We were looking at Paul, what was flowing out of his hearts? Praise, worship, adoration. And what flows out of our hearts is often what's flowing out of our mouths. And as I looked back at my week, so many more times, what flowed out of my mouth was complaints about losing my wallet, about all of the hassles that I had, about the fact that I had just renewed my license and now I had to go pay again. All of these things. This was probably, that was probably the one thing that I spoke the most about this week. When I had a God, a King of Kings and a Lord of Lords high and lifted up. Where there's all these heavenly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And my my conversations were about my wallet mostly this week. And so it's just one of those things, like as I encounter this and I read the word. And I'm like, this is what I want. Man, I wish I was farther along on the journey, but God is good, and God is patient. God is kind, but he's also calling. Jesus is also saying, come and follow me. And so how we respond to that changes everything about how we live our lives and the things that flow out of our hearts that then flow out of our mouths, and we see it in Paul. We see it in the life of King David, and we see it through the Bible. And so today, um, we're going to end with a question. Uh, We'll get it up on the screen there. And and this is what I want you to spend some time talking about in your groups, is what was the most common thing that flowed out of your heart this week? And so when I say flow out of your heart, think about what is the one most common thing you spoke about this week? with people around you? What what was it that, can, can you identify something that most commonly came out of your mouth this week and dominated your thoughts and your conversations? Um, spend some time discussing with the people around you. We'll give it another about five minutes, and then I will close us in prayer, and Reuben will do some more worship for us today.